It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Hello, Bengals fans, and welcome to the Toward the end of the Combine edition of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, this is Jake. I'm joined by, as always, my co-host, Joe. As you get into your car on Monday morning, which is when I assume you're listening to this for most of you, remember to tell your smart device to listen to podcast Lockdown Bengals to get our voices to accompany you on your commute to work. A little bit of news before we get into the Combine. The Bengals hired another coach that we weren't aware of uh, at our last recording. That's Mark Duffner, ex-Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive coordinator. He's coming into Cincinnati as a senior defensive assistant. He was the Bengals defensive coordinator in 2001 to 2002 under head coach Dick LeBeau. And he's been a head coach at Holy Cross and at Maryland. In addition to that, he spent four years at the University of Cincinnati in the 70s and was in Miami with Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo in 2014 to 2015. He's the oldest coach, I believe, on the staff. He's turning 66 a week before training camp opens. And he worked, like I said, with uh, Kevin Coyle in Miami, Zach Taylor in Miami, Lou Anarumo in Miami. So quite a few connections to Cincinnati and including the fact that he's worked in Cincinnati. This is another guy who's coming in that has ties to Dick LeBeau and that's two directly and or is it three directly two directly and a third is what you may be thinking of as the linebackers coach that had three four experience right 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 yeah Tem Tem Lukabu is the third guy I'm thinking of and he was the coach for a couple of college teams in their years that they transitioned out of four three into three four it might not mean anything. We might still see a one gap for three. I think I'm still expecting to see that until proven otherwise. But it's interesting to me that they've brought in so many guys with Dick LeBeau experience and with three, four experience. But I like it. I like bringing people in with experience and and hopefully marrying two different schemes together to get the best of both worlds in a you know ideal scenario. We don't know if it'll play out that way at all, but... Uh, it could, and if that's what they're trying to do, that sounds good. I would love to get some confirmation on that or hear Zach Taylor talk about it at all, but we really haven't gotten much on that. No, Zach Taylor's repeated the same talking points, I think, for the last couple of weeks, talking about how he's you know, focusing on communication and how excited he is for Andy Dalton and how smart Andy Dalton is, and that's all well and good, but tell me something new, Coach. 
So for those of you that are following the combine, if you're interested to see what several Bengals assistants had to say while they were out in Indianapolis, check out Bengals.com. There are interviews with like six or seven coaches, I think, up there. So pretty cool kind of window into what's going on in Cincinnati. A lot of it's coach speak, but in particular, the Brian Callahan interview that we talked about a couple of days ago was really informative and I think really insightful. That being said, just to talk about the combine itself, I don't know about you guys, but I've been blown away with some of the numbers coming in from Indianapolis. This is apparently looking to be a deeper class, especially at linebacker, I think, and defensive line than than I initially thought it was. Yeah, the thing about linebacker, too, is because a lot of people said the drop-off from Devin White to even to the next tier, which we considered to be Devin Bush and um, Mac Wilson— and then after that, a steep decline. But these guys tested crazy. I mean, it's at least in the 40, but they tested as a whole very fast, very athletic unit, which is going to force me to go back and watch some players that I have no idea who they are. Sione Takitaki from BYU gets a nine and some change on the on the relative athletic score, which means you need to go see who he is. And then Jamal Davis from Akron. I don't even know how much Akron tape I'll be able to find, but you know, you're going to have a list of these guys that all test extremely well that you're going to say, okay, so who are they? What can they do that? I have no idea. Let me go see uh, what they do on tape, what their traits are, what, what they can provide. And even if they're still third, fourth, fifth rounders, they could provide something down the line. So uh, that's what the combine's for. If you let these guys flash, let them introduce themselves to you. And if you don't know who they are, uh, now we get to go back and watch the tape. But I think as a whole, this not just the linebackers. I mean, the receivers were insane, big and fast. We talked about it on the last podcast last week how big those guys are measuring. And then they all came and ran fast. And we said, I believe I said, though the guy, the big guys last year didn't run fast and all get got drafted way later than expected. These guys all blew it up, man. I mean, running 4-3-3 for DK Metcalf at 228 pounds is insane. And it wasn't just him, too. It was... Oh, what's what's his name? Notre Dame Miles. I'm gonna miss it already. But and then uh, Hakeem Butler, Arizona State. All these guys ran fast for big for big guys. It's gonna make you. I, I can already see guys going or or draft Twitter and that going back and watching. Okay, what's this guy do? You know, does he, he struggle because DK Metcalf runs poorly in the three cone and shuttle drills, which should test your agility, acceleration, uh, change of direction. Now they're going to go see, okay, what does he look like off the jam? What does he look like in and out of breaks? And I think that those were issues on tape too. So were hands. He he had a little bit issues with drops, but at the same time, that's what it's for. Now I'm going to go back, try and confirm what he did. But overall, I think the talk right now, especially on Twitter is there's 15 guys that could go in the top 10. At least, right? You see different guys being like, oh, he's going to be gone by 10. He's going to be gone by 10. And you see like 30 guys are going to be gone by 10. And you're like, oh, well, what what's going to give here? Because when there are risers, there are necessarily fallers. And it's not necessarily because they're worse than expected. But if guys are, are truly rising because of athletic performance of the combine, it pushes people down. It's a zero-sum game, obviously. Yeah, and the one that you keep hearing about right after the combine is Ja'Kai Polite from Florida, defensive end, edge rusher, uh, mostly because, I mean, he was public about not really feeling the interviews with the teams, and the teams reportedly now, you hear from some anonymous scouts saying, man, he bombed interviews, and then he tested poorly, not even fast, not quick, not explosive. He was unprepared completely. Whoever's offering him in advice for this this uh, very large portion of the draft process he flunked it miserably, and I mean, I think it was Lance Zerline today of NFL.com said he's out of the first round. I mean, this was a guy we were talking about maybe at 11, 12, 13, 14, mid, middle of the first round on the high-end side, and now it's not even first round because of character and then athleticism. So this, this is a big thing. This is a big portion of this process, and while he's one guy that dropped out, man, it feels like five to eight guys cemented themselves as top 15 picks. And just off the top of my head, I've got a few written down here. Uh, But Andre Dillard from Washington State, offensive tackle, he's the only one who passed all the athleticism thresholds of the all-pro, Pro Pro Bowl-type tackles. And his pass protection, a lot of people that watch offensive linemen said he's the best pass protector in this draft. So now you've got athleticism plus 
the opinion of those you trust saying he's the best pass protector, but he's got to work on things uh, with, with power, with his hands, and in run blocking. But that's a good base to start off of those two things right there. So he just locked himself up with his performance. He's not going to be there in the second round. So now, as a Bengals fan, they need a tackle still. Do you now say, well, he's not going to be there at 42. We have to consider him now at number 11 because or else he's not going to be there for us if we wait. Other other two guys now, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, did exactly, I think, what we expected. Fant just literally blew it up. As impressive as Metcalf was, Fant has a higher relative athletic score than him. What he did was insane for a tight end, for being as big as he is, running as fast, jumping, everything, his explosion, his agility. He is off the charts. He could potentially be a game-changing, like you've never seen before, type tight end. And, man, the Bengals have a need at tight end as of right now. And then TJ Hawkinson, while he's in comparison, doesn't look as good. He measured very well, too, and in that top 80th percentile for tight ends. And we already know his production's there, and we know he's a fantastic blocker. So now he's right in the, on the radar, just as expected. And then I think, like, Montez Sweat, defensive end from Mississippi State, the way he tests running a 4-4-1 as a defensive end at 258 pounds, uh, that's the fastest time ever for, for an edge rusher. That's pretty insane, and even if he doesn't always show that on tape, you know now the upside is there, and it wasn't just the 40. He measured all around very well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see now if he is a top eight pick or so. Is he right after Nick Bosa in terms of defensive ends? If he is, then that pushes someone back to the Bengals at 11. Yeah, I think there a lot of edge guys are looking good for a top 10 at this point, right? There's Bosa... Uh, Josh Allen, Clellan Farrell, who didn't test as well. He did not. I got Rashawn Gary also. Rashawn Gary tested great. And Brian Burns lit it up, man. Mm -hmm. And he may be more of an outside linebacker stand-up. He looked like Von Miller. Uh, In his positional drills, running around with the linebackers, he was extremely smooth, agile, quick, and explosive. Somebody's going to take Burns much higher than we expect. And Kyle Krabs says uh, Burns is his edge rusher number one. Well, that would make sense then. And that's why I said Vaughn Miller, because just watching him move, I was like, this is not normal. This is this is freaky stuff. And I could see him going over at Josh Allen, even though Allen tested well. He didn't test like a freak the way Burns did, the way some of these other guys did sweat. Uh, but then Quinn and Williams at defensive tackle tested like a freak. Mm-hmm. I mean, just I mean, what do you run a four eight three, which is insane at 300 pounds. And then Oliver, Ed Oliver didn't do all of the testing, but he did the jumps, and all, all three of them were freaky jumps type yeah. type stuff. So he's right where he's he's supposed to be. He's going to run at his pro day, but at, at his current pace, if you go to mockdraftable.com, his number one comparable right now is Geno Atkins. Yep. So defensive linemen that tested well on RAS specifically, Christian Wilkins, Rashawn Gary, Montez Sweat, Brian Burns, Ben Benogu, Jerry Tillery, Kalen Saunders, Kingsley Kiki, Rennell Wren, Ed Oliver, and Chase Winovich are the names that stood out to me. Did you say Kalen Saunders? I did. We drafted him last week on uh, on our mock draft Monday. The speaking, other one, speaking yeah. of Geno Atkins comparables, yes, very. And Jerry Tillery is interesting. I believe it was Dane Brugler had the Bengals taking him in the second round. He's he tested like a crazy man. Again, you go look at his, his web on mock draftable and it's completely full except for his bench. And I want to say his weight. Um, but he's, he's tall, six, six and some change, long arms, surprisingly tested athletic. When I watched him, he was really productive for Notre Dame, but I thought at times a little too tall. And we've seen these big defensive tackles, uh, have issues with, leverage and power from those shorter guards and shorter interior linemen i didn't expect him to test the way he did now it makes me want to go back and look at tillery and say okay you had the production you've got the plus size where a lot of teams are going to like that idea and now you've got the athleticism to go with it we're gonna we may have to reevaluate where he is on the draft board Mm -hmm. actually one other guy that had a disappointing day i think just to ruffle the feathers of our Ohio State fans, Draymond Jones did not yeah. test as well as many expected him to. And he's got just a barely above average now um, relative athletic score, which is okay because I think it knocked him into the situation because I saw some late first round talk. I didn't like that. His production scores are really high. 
but I think he should be a more of a roll nickel interior rusher. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then you want to take him in the second or third round. That's where his value is going to be. So you don't feel like you have to play him as a base defensive end or as a three tech that's undersized. Instead, you take him on day two. Uh, he becomes a, becomes a role player for you. Maybe that early role is a nickel pass rusher next to a Geno Atkins, let's say, and that's an ideal situation for him. So he's one of the guys that, while he wasn't impressive, he may have put himself in a situation while he may may make a little bit less money. He may have put himself in a better situation later on. And and guys have watched tape on him will say, well, I don't really care how he tested because you can see him do crazy bendy things, and his ankle flexion, for example, is insane on tape. And they'll go back and point at that and some of his uh, short area quickness and agility and change of direction stuff. Like, it's it's on tape. And some of these guys, you know, you always have to remember with the combine. Like, Jonah Williams, for example, had a really poor combine. But I think he's probably still the best offensive tackle prospect in the class. Some people will disagree with that. But you have to remember when you're looking at these athleticism scores that these are guys performing outside of a football context. And they're... There is definitely a correlation, right? Like there's a reason that we look at these numbers and we care about these numbers because they matter and they're somewhat predictive when used in context with other factors such as those production scores and tape evaluations that Joe's talking about here. Yeah, but they don't tell the whole just, story. Right. It's not just us that's evaluating them. It's the NFL. You will see these directly affect where a player gets drafted uh, come April. So, and it may not always be that way. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it only takes one team to fall in love with Draymond Jones and still take him in the first round. But we should expect this now to knock him down a little bit. Uh, and it's a good defensive tackle class, right? You named a bunch of guys. You're, if they all have good tape, if they all have good production, you're going to take the athlete over to, over Draymond Jones. And now Draymond Jones shows the athleticism on tape, so he's still worthy of a of a, of a good premium pick, second or third round. But now he's probably not going to go as high as he as he would have or as some were starting to mock him. The point of all this is to weed out. Listen, we're looking at the one percentile of athlete. It's hard to split hairs. So we want to let them do it themselves. Test all these guys in the same drills under controlled conditions because i saw you see a lot of comments from people around this time of i'd rather see them have pads or run through this drill or that drill well you don't you want as many other factors like pads or 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 different drills to be stripped away you want just raw athleticism for these guys in controlled environments and so i can compare them to somebody that did this test eight years ago 10 years ago 15 years ago you want the the largest pool of data possible so you can say well, 95% of the guys that test this way end up being long-term starters, and it helps you eliminate other people. So that's why these are important. They don't, they don't mean someone's good or bad, but it will affect their draft stock, and it should give you more confidence when drafting these guys. Speaking of comparable data going back 10 to 15 years, Joe, I wonder how if we look at some of these positions that are testing crazy athletic this year, like wide receiver, linebacker, defensive lineman, even the tight ends, if we were to compare these to the last 10 10- plus years i wonder how like if this is the most athletic class we've had at these positions or or if the hype of the recency is is overblown i think nfl network said this is the fastest class since they've been covering it at a 449 average uh speed score for all these guys or 40 yard dash time uh so that you know it's not just um you know, recent recency bias here. They're fast and yeah, they look fast and they look big. So I, I even mentioned it during the, the, while they were running, I said, man, these corners better run fast because the NFL already is getting silly with offenses outweighing defenses. And all it's going to take, we talked before this is a really a power running team coming in and just running it down these linebackers throats. We're looking at these best linebackers as they're testing, right? And you, we both say to each other, what's his weight? 233. Oh, well that, you know they're getting low low points on the relative athletic score table for their weight being 230 pounds, but that's right in line with all of these linebackers, and it's just that's where the game is moving. So it's going to take, I think, it's hard to ignore the assets at wide receiver and, and tight end and in these flexible positions, but these teams that are going to be able to also run it and run it with power are going to have an advantage on, on a lot of these defensive uh, teams that really are, are gearing up now to try and catch up to offenses with smaller, faster players. Is it worth noting at all for some of these linebackers that they're a little bit shorter? So they're coming in a little bit lighter, but they're shorter. So, you know, short, short, not small, as, as they it, say. 
Yes, when you're six foot, when I and I did this last year, you can do a body mass index on these guys, and it's right in where you want it to be. Um, but when you look at Roquan Smith last year, I did this, and I said, look, this is this is like being, and you should do one inch for every five pounds. So let's say um, Devin White is six foot two thirty seven, I believe he he measured it. Devin Bush is five eleven two thirty three. So they're about the same based on on height and and weight density basically at that point. So if you were six one, you could be two forty two. If you were six three or six two, you could be two forty seven, six three, two fifty three. You're all about the same density at that point. Um, so these these guys also they're getting shorter. I believe because the lateral agility, explosiveness, change of direction is becoming a premium. You can't have these six foot four, six five linebackers unless they're freak athletes out in space changing direction because they're just too long and leggy. So as we're as as the need is being cultivated for from the college game for the NFL game, we're seeing the change in linebacker and that's shorter, higher athletes with top end speed. Worth noting, I think that you know the the short guy in the NFL. The standard for a short linebacker in the NFL is Bobby Wagner right now, right? Yeah. So and he, he's the best he is, in the league. Yeah, and at the combine, he he was six foot two forty one, so a little bit heavier than these guys this year. That are what what was what was Devin Bush and and Devin White? Bush was two thirty three. White was two thirty seven. Yeah. So so two, White's pretty close. Yeah. And actually, it's funny because uh, Devin Bush is the one that comes up as a comparable and mock draftable. Uh, Bobby Wagner is one of his, while Devin White, one of his, is Roquan Smith. And that's someone we've compared him to, even though there are some differences in their games. We compared them because uh, Roquan went, what, number seven overall last year? Mm -hmm. Roquan was actually drafted at eight, Joe. Anyway, after a quick break here, we're going to talk about what might have changed for the Bengals and the mock drafts that we've done for pick 11. So stick around after the break. We'll get into how the draft may have changed for the Bengals after the combine. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. It is still NFL Combine weekend, even though if you're listening to this on Monday, you may be listening to this before the corners and safeties take the field. But at this point, if you're the Bengals or Bengals fan, I don't think we're all too high on corner or safety for the draft. The meat and the potatoes of of our preparation, or at least the conclusions for the scouting combine, are, are at the end. And we can say at this point, well, how does this change the Bengals' plans at number 11? There's definitely more names on the table, I think, at this point. Uh, like we said in the last segment, you can eliminate maybe Ja'Kai Polite, even though I wasn't. I don't think we discussed him one time. Maybe uh, when Todd Grantham was was thought to come to the Bengals was the only time we mentioned his name. But at this point, we can eliminate him from contention at number 11. But definitely we've added some names like Andre Dillard. Both the tight ends, I think, firmly, even though we've discussed them, I think firmly have been inserted into the the top 12 uh discussion and then i would also say devin bush the way he tested devin bush tested exactly in parallel step for step with devin white and i did not expect that at all i expected devin white to test exactly the way he did and i would still love devin white as the pick he's got the the tape the production and the character and the the athleticism but devin bush when you watch him he's even better on tape at times than devin white uh, and the power he brings, and I think he's more of a sure tackler. At the same time, I didn't think he was nearly the athlete Devin White is. So now that Devin Bush runs the way he does and tests the way he does, I say, wow. One guy I thought was definitely the better athlete, but they test the same. And on tape, it doesn't say that Bush is a worse athlete. He just doesn't get to some of the same plays White does. So now it makes me wonder He's not going to be there at 42, and I believe I had him there in my mock draft for the Athletic, the Bengals taking him in the second round. That's not going to happen now. We can throw it out the window. If anything, he's going to go to the Steelers at, what, 18 or whatever they pick, 20, um, which scares me. And so now he's not going to be there at 42. And let's say Devin White, because he tests so well, goes top 10. 
do we now consider Devin Bush at 11? And I think we should. And I think that's why I also said about Dillard uh, also a tackle because I think people are going to view Jonah Williams as a guard with shorter arms and he didn't test exceptionally well. He may go in the top 15, but as a guard, Jake, what do you think? Are, are there are you going like, okay, I'm taking linebacker no matter what, or you feel good about these tackles? I mean, we're, how many more players are on the table now for 11? I think I think it's interesting, right? Because some guys go up and some guys, like we said, have to go down in response. And I think Cody Ford is a guy that's been talked about in the top 10 who tested really poorly and looks like he's almost certainly going to be seen by NFL teams at a, as, as a guard at this point. Yeah. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, both tested great. For me, I didn't think that the gap between those guys would be quite what it was. I thought Hawkinson would be a little bit closer to Fant. So while I've been like hard on Hawkinson for tight end, if we're going tight end at 11, Noah Fant, is, he has to be in the discussion at this point just because of, of what he did at the combine. I'm not sure I'm on linebacker or bust for the first round anymore either because there are some guys like you've mentioned that – have good tape. Uh, well, you don't know about the guys you mentioned, I guess, in Sione, Taki Taki, and Jamal Davis. Yeah, besides Jermaine Pratt, I did, I do like, and he got a 9.3 on the athletic score. So so I feel better, actually, about the athletic depth. One one name in particular, Ben Burkirvin from Washington. He was one of Pro Football Focus's top-graded linebackers in 2018 in the college ranks. And the questions for him were, is he going to weigh enough to play linebacker? And he weighed in at 230. There was concerns amongst the scouting community that he would be closer to uh, 220. So he weighed in on, on, on point, or at least you know close enough to these other guys, Bush and White. And, and then the other question for him was, what's the athletics going to look like? And then he tested really well, too. So Ben Burkirvin is a guy who I didn't think was going to be the athlete, who I thought was maybe going to have size issues. And those are both uh, alleviated a little bit by the way he tested and measured. So there's one guy, at least, that we can say, OK, I would feel all right if Ben Burkirvin is a pick later. And along with that. There's uh, Tavon Coney from Notre Dame who hasn't tested yet. We'll have to see how he does at his pro day. It's a guy who is very good in coverage at Notre Dame. We'll see how he tests. And uh, like you mentioned, Jermaine Pratt. Yeah, and I was going to say about Burke Curvin, not only did he check the box for athleticism now and speed and size, and you said PFF was extremely high in him. I want to say they had him number 12 overall on their 101 uh, top uh, college players. Yeah. But also, when you look at production metrics for tackle share and things like that, he's like a 98 out of 100 percentile. He's extremely high in there. When you put on the tape, and I was it's one of the first linebackers I ever talked about, and it was with Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports, does it does draft work over there. He loved Ben Burkirvin because he's constantly in on it, making plays, making tackles against the run in coverage. I mean, the guy's always, always in on the play. And it makes sense that well, that's why his tackle share is so high. PFF loves him. So he's at this point a total package, which was an unexpected thing out of I mean, a lot of people thought third, fourth round. I, someone mocked him to the Bengals when we talked about mock draft Monday last week or the week before. And we were both kind of like, yeah, okay, he's, he gets a lot of tackles. But the questions were size and athleticism. And we've seen those guys. Every single year, every year, there's a Ben Burkirvin before the combine, and he comes out testing just average, and you say, okay, well, he's a mid-rounder, and you, you'll flip the coin and see what he can do. But now, the way he tests, you say, well, you, you want to target him. Is it the second round? Is it third round? But now he's like on your short list of, he's got everything you want. Where do we have to draft to get this guy? And if that's the case, it kind of, even though the, the top two guys in being a Bush and White tested so well, that you say, well, the, maybe this linebacker class isn't such a steep drop-off that it w- that we originally thought it was. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly a drop-off, I think, in terms of the athleticism. But Burke Herbin was a highly, highly productive college player. He's coming from Washington, which regularly produces quality NFL defensive players. And now he has the athleticism scores that we weren't expecting him to have. So I think he certainly has to be a consideration when you're thinking about what to do at 11. I think... For me, where 11 has become complicated is tackle. 
yeah. I think that the tackles did not perform by and large as well as many expected them to in terms of some of these important athleticism milestones. Because we were pinning it on Jonah Williams, right? What, what's that? We were pinning it all on Jonah Williams. Well, I mean, there was a world in which Jonah Williams was going to be gone and then it was going to be Jawan Taylor or right. Cody Ford. But now Cody Ford, I don't think, is a tackle. And so then it's... Andre Dillard. Andre Dillard, <laughs> right? right? Greg, then, Little, or, Greg Little was terrible. I Greg, expect yeah. him to, to show up. Greg Little is, is probably out of the... Toward the end of the first round, at least. He's in uh, the second, in my opinion. He looked probably. sloppy. He was, he was uncoordinated. Well, that was a concern about him on tape, too, right? Yep. There, yep. there were concerns about technique. Uh, and then Dalton Reisner is the other yep, one who right. he's probably not making it to 42. So I don't think you're getting a tackle that you can plug and play at 42. No, not one that you feel good about. If it is Greg Little, and there are times you really like him because he does have some production and he's got the length and he's light on his feet at times, um, a second-round tackle is a second-round tackle for a reason. And when you look at it and start to look at this class, it was I was pinning my hopes that, okay, a few of these guys are going to test, look great, and Jonah Williams was sub-34-inch arms. Maybe Taylor will be tackle one, and we can get Jonah Williams at 11. But now I don't feel as good about Jonah Williams. Well, I do think his tape is good, and his production was good. He can get outlanked, and he can get powered, and especially on that inside shoulder, and moved too much uh, against power rushers. And because of it, it doesn't make you feel really good about him because he was 300 and, what, six pounds? So he was light. Yeah, so you want to see him test very well and, and look athletic in order to say, okay, so power is not his game. He's an athlete, and that's how he's winning. Instead, uh, he didn't test very athletic. He, he just pretty much come, came back as an average athlete that's undersized um, but is still a really good run blocker on tape. And you say, well, that's where he's going to lean, and that's what he is. But you know what? He's got a chip on his shoulder. I love the way he answered questions of saying, you know, if my arms were a little bit longer, maybe I could do this. And I'm a tackle. I'm the best tackle. And I've always been the best tackle. I like that idea. But I just think now when you sit there, and if you want someone who checks all the boxes at number 11 or someone that does fall to you at number 11, I'm not sure Joan Williams is now with that group of guys. I think if you if it came down and Fant and Hawkinson are there and, and Jonah Williams and Ida Oliver at this point, I Jonah White might be behind all those guys. It becomes really it becomes just so complicated at this point with the tight ends, even the defensive linemen, and, and not just at Oliver. I know. Well, but, think about Montez Sweat, the way he tested, right? We yeah. may not need a defensive end right now, well, but we could need one in two years. Well, I'm, I'm not really on the Montez Sweat at 11 plan. I'm not on that bandwagon. I'm just saying that, you know, we should be at least aware of it because yeah. we weren't on, a lot of people aren't on a lot of, you know, let's say Marshawn Lattimore a couple years ago. A lot of people didn't want to take a corner, but we should have been aware of, or at least yeah. had an opinion that if he ends up being a shutdown number one type corner, we can be kicking our own ass in two years. And now, yeah. you know, if we had him, we'd feel much better about it. The other thing is there's still going to be a couple quarterbacks probably that go in the top 10. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't talked about quarterbacks at all, but there's still going to be a couple quarterbacks in the top 10 to go with all these other guys that you want to say are going in the top 10. So somebody will be there. That's and, that's the positive for the Bengals, right? Is that somebody good will be there at 11. Whether it it's be. like a perfect marriage in terms of what you need right now, I mean, you hope so, but maybe not, and then you just kind of have to be okay with it. And the other good news is the class looks deeper at some of these positions than we originally thought. And the exception, I think, is is tackle. Yeah, and that's a bummer, I think, for a lot of people, is that now we're looking at is, is tackle is either going to feel like a reach or not the best player available or not the best prospect available. And that's not that's not ideal. That's not the situation you want to be in. Um, so one other thing, though, is... I want to talk because you mentioned quarterbacks too, and just mentioned how they looked out there. I thought Daniel Jones looked poor uh, in the individual drills. I thought Dwayne Haskins looked pretty good for the most part. Uh, more and more rumors of Kyler Murray going to be the number one pick, and that w- which means puts Josh Rosen on the trade block. Even though we've touched on this, it's coming you know around to feeling more like a a something we're going to see at the top of mock drafts for, for the next month and a half at least. Uh, but you know what the interesting guy to me is. Again, I thought Will Greer tested just enough. When you go look at his profile, 
one of the comparables comes up is Patrick Mahomes, which I wasn't expecting. And Andy Dalton, I think. And Andy Dalton, yes. But, you know, and then that's when you go to, okay, so these these are the names. I love that Andy Dalton and Mahomes come up because two different players, right, in terms of style. Uh, but size-wise, they're not too different. And Andy is a decent athlete. Mahomes is a better athlete. But point being, so what is Will Greer? What side of that is he on? And I think he's definitely on the playmaking mentality, off-script mentality side rather than the Andy Dalton side. So it makes me more interested in Greer that maybe he's a little bit better of an athlete than expected. One of the comparables for Daniel Jones, though, was Josh Allen. And we saw Josh Allen running the way he did last year for the Bills. I don't think he's got Allen's arm, obviously. His hands aren't as big. Allen had crazy big arms. But we do see Daniel Jones break off some 70-yard runs uh, against North Carolina, and you go – maybe is a better athlete than expected. The one freak quarterback, though, was Tyree Jackson, right? Did you see any of him in, in his, his drills and uh, his, his what he got, a 9.93 relative athletic score, which is probably the highest of all time for quarterbacks? Yeah, I saw his numbers, and I thought, well, if he can't throw it, he's definitely got the athleticism to play somewhere in the NFL, and that other position would probably be a tight end, right? Yeah, you would think so. Uh, it's funny because there's two highest um, comparables when you go when you go look at it on mock draftable is Josh Allen, which is funny because uh, I, I saw a Buffalo radio guy mention over the weekend that how did Josh Allen get all the hype to end up going top ten, but Tyree Jackson is thought of as maybe a third round pick at this point at the highest when they're very similar. You look at their numbers; they're very similar, stature wise, athleticism, ability; they're very similar. And then I, I go to Mock Draftable and I switch Tyree Jackson to tight end. And the number one guy that comes up is Logan Thomas, who was a quarterback <laughs> at Virginia Tech and now plays tight end or did play tight end for the Buffalo Bills. So I'm like full circle there, and it's so perfect. That's an interesting one. Yeah, he had some outrageous athleticism numbers. Yeah, six foot seven, 249 pounds, over 34 inch arms. Uh, 10 and a quarter hands. So we already knew his size, right? And I, I, I actually moved him to edge on one of the mock draftable webs just to see where he was on there too, which he compared to Deion Jordan, which was a top 10 uh-huh. pick. But anyways, he runs a 4.59 in the 40, and he has a 34 and a half inch vertical, a 10 foot broad jump. Now all of these are like elite attributes for quarterbacks. And then for a guy who's 6'7 and 250, he actually had a decent three cone at 7.09 and a shuttle at 4.28, which... If you don't know what that means, that's above average in both areas. He is an athlete, and at the very least, man, it makes me interested in him as a anti-Andy Dalton, just the complete opposite. Then maybe he can learn from Dalton and, and gain some of those um, dependency skills that y- you feel you have with Andy Dalton, and, and maybe some of it rubs off on Tyree Jackson. I'm very interested now. What round? Third, I think, but I think... I wouldn't be surprised if he was there in the fourth or fifth. So I wouldn't want to take him too early because those those quarterbacks rarely ever hit and and make it. I just think it's worth the risk of rolling the dice on him because the upside could be insane. So I have this feeling that this is a very important draft for establishing the future foundation and the future core of the Bengals under a potential Zach Taylor coaching uh, tenure. That means to me, I don't want to take a developmental quarterback in this draft. It sounds like you're on the other side of that coin. Defend to me the merits of taking, let's say it's a third round pick on a quarterback that could instead be, say, I don't know, Andy Isabella. He won't probably be there in the third round. Pick anyone. It's fine. It's a fair uh, question to have. Just look at last year, Sam Hubbard. You want Sam Hubbard instead of some random third round quarterback. Malik Jefferson was the other third rounder. And then you say, okay, well, I guess those are the two ways it could go in the third round. And what if you ended up with a Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins? How often does that happen? Not very often. Not very often at all. And that's why it's almost a waste of pick to spend one too high. And I think that's why we see a gap in today's league. These guys that used to go in the first two rounds all get pushed up to the first round, right? And then nobody goes in the second round and then you get some third and fourth rounders that teams like, and then really nothing until sixth, seventh round. You may get one in the fifth. It really dies off afterwards because it's futile to spend those type of resources on the quarterback position because they've rarely ever hit. But if there's, you've talked about it. There's no 
bigger market inefficiency than having a rookie on a rookie deal at quarterback. Yeah. And if you ended up getting a Dak Prescott, so you don't. Maybe you got Malik Jefferson, he doesn't do anything. Maybe you got Sam Hubbard. But if you did get Dak Prescott, and now you at least have a replaceable level to Andy Dalton that's going to make not even less than half, he's going to make six a million fraction. or yeah you're right even on even on that last year of his deal it'd be what five million dollars if that but he's gonna the third uh, round right you're right now that i'm saying it out loud that first year he's gonna make a couple hundred thousand dollars in yeah. the third round yeah so it would be insane to that's that's a right tackle and a linebacker starting uh starting guy so yeah that's why you do it because the payoff would be worth it. I guess I, I know why you do it, but is it worth the risk for for this particular team in this particular scenario? That's the it question, depends, right? It depends on if you feel if you can... Now, if I get there and I'm in the third round and I still got a first-round graded guy there that I really like and I consider it in the second round at 42, or I've got a quarterback that I want to take a chance on, I'm going to take the guy that I feel more comfortable with. And I tend to do that whenever we do these mock drafts where I just say... You know what, Will Greer's there, but I, you know, I'm gonna, I, I like this guy that's still there. Or I want to get a linebacker, or I want to get an offensive tackle, or a tight end, whatever the case may be. But I do think that the bold teams that are willing to do it, even if it's the Patriots taking Jimmy Garoppolo when they didn't need him, and then you trade him later for for assets, it becomes worth it. There's plenty of there's plenty of times where it's become worth it, where these teams are taking backup quarterbacks and trade them for for. for assets down the line the Bengals almost did this with AJ McCarron uh, you know a smarter team probably would have dumped him for a third round pick way before they got offered that second rounder uh so it I think at the end if it's worth it it's worth it but that's like you could say that with every single pick yeah yeah it's just quarterbacks tough for me because you only play one having depth at quarterback in the NFL like I really don't I really don't care like, I don't care who your backup is. If your starter gets hurt, you're probably done. And even if you're not done and you're skating by for a couple of games, if your starter's hurt in the playoffs, you're done. Well, that's what was Nick, Nick Foles recently, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Of course, someone's listening to us saying, Nick Foles right now. And you're right, Nick Foles. But it's very rare that that does happen. And if, when it does happen, it's a complete surprise normally. So so if you had, would your top five, for for the Bengals at eleven, would that have changed? Has that changed for in the last few days? Seeing these athleticism scores, I think I still target the same guys, which are Devin White, Ed Oliver, Jonah Williams, probably Hawkinson and Fant. I'm not sure if I am I forgetting anybody there, but I still I still think I had the that core group of who I wanted. I just think at this point, I want someone who checks all the boxes, yeah. and of that group. That puts Jonah Williams last. So who's first? Devin White still. Um, even though the value of linebacker, I don't know. I'm going to go back and forth between Fant and White because Fant's a freak. Devin White tested like one also, but just in a different way. I'd, I'd rather have that freak offensive player that I can scheme and get, get the ball to and really uh, coordinate my offense around. Man, Fant, Green, Boyd, and Ross, Mixon, jeez. Mm-hmm. I, whatever quarterback you draft next year is going to succeed, man. That's going to be that sounds extremely fun. Yeah. Uh, now I know linebacker is a huge need, but I you could also go out and sign a veteran linebacker. So free agency may mix this up, but I may have Fant now. Mm-hmm. That Oliver still has to test, I, and that's going to those three. I don't think you can go wrong, but they're I consider those fluid. But I would be Oliver, Fant, and White somewhere as, as the top three. Yeah, Oliver, Fant, White, Hawkinson. I'm happy with all of them. For me, actually. So I, I said earlier, I think that the tackle depth isn't what I thought it would be. I was going to say, like, I, I felt pretty good about second-round tackles, even third-round tackles in some cases. Uh, a guy like Max Sharping, if he's there in the third sure. round, I'm thrilled. But the the depth at linebacker is much better than I thought it would be. And because of the positional value there, I'm starting to feel inclined to wait Despite how on board I was with all the early mocks that told me Devin White to the Bengals, it makes a ton of sense, and it does make sense, and if it happens, I won't be upset. But if if it happens and then they would have had a chance to draft Jermaine Pratt or Ben Burkirvin in round four or round five, then I'm thinking, eh, well, you know, maybe we could have had Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Ed Oliver, and had a real, you know, a disruptor. You linebackers know, look, middle off ball linebackers aren't disruptors they're not right for the most part changing the game you know what the hard part is is that um 
linebackers can succeed in a lot of various forms. They can be big, they can be small. They there's linebackers come becoming like, okay, you're this size, you're this type of player, you're a better run defender, here's your role. Um you're better in coverage, you can run, you can move in space, here's your role. I mean, you can pick like that. But yeah. so these guys you can find someone who doesn't need to ha- have a 9 on the athletic score to be successful. We had Vontez Perfect who tested extremely poorly but was successful for the Bengals. So you don't need that. It's not a prerequisite. But for tackle there is a very defined threshold for the shuttle and agility drills that if they don't surpass it, the list is very, very, you know, rigid as in terms of look at the guys who have started versus the guys who, who don't last a long time or don't play well. And there is a, a, a cutoff point on that. And so when Jonah Williams doesn't pass it, you go, woof, you know, does that mean he's, he's not going to be good? And no, it just may mean he may be a guard like some people thought. But it also means when you look at second, third, fourth rounders, guys that may develop into starters, the list is dry, man. One guy passed the threshold this year in Andre Dillard. That was it. And so you go, you're not going to likely get a starting tackle in the second, third, fourth round, much like last year, how teams just said, "Eh, we're not going to take Tyrell Crosby, who many thought was a second, third rounder that could start out of Oregon. Instead, he drops to the sixth, seventh round or whatever it was just because his athleticism wasn't there. And at that point, you got to think he's not a starting tackle because it is, it is defined data that's pretty clear on it. Um, so I, if I were to put a sixth player on that right outside the cusp, it would be Andre Dillard because I don't want to come out of this draft without a starting right tackle. It gets really tricky. It gets so tricky when you start because then, then you're talking about I'm skipping Jonah Williams, who everyone thinks is consensus good, t- you know, up there with Jawan Taylor anyway. You're talking about Andre Dillard, who Bengals fans might be listening to this. Video. Who's Andre Dillard? We haven't talked about him once on this podcast. Or maybe we did. Just Ryan once. was yep. on. But I don't remember that name. That name is new to me. And I am I think I'm paying attention. Right. And that's the thing is because he was considered a late first. But he rarely was there at 42 for the Bengals. When we do these mock drafts, it seems like he always going was always going in the top of the second round. Yeah. Well, he's not going to be there now. I mean, when he tests the way he did, he's not going to be there. And now we have to say, is he in contention with the 11th pick? Or do we trade back to 15, 16, 20, whatever it is, and you take Andre Dillard and you feel good about that? I I think, you know, the luxury for the Bengals is that they need a right guard also. So you can take these tackles that maybe didn't test so well, and maybe they're not right tackles for you right away. And maybe they're right guards. Maybe – Jonah Williams is Zach Martin. The Cowboys aren't mad about taking Zach Martin to play right guard. He's one of he's is the best right guard in the NFL, and he's a big part of their run game. But the Bengals aren't going to sign Jonah Williams' right guard to a second contract. That's fair, and that's a concern. But you would hope the new Bengals maybe would or or reconsider it. You're right. I know. I can't stomach the idea of man, taking a right guard at number 11 while Kevin Zeitler's still in his prime for a AFC North division rival. And that's how I feel about linebacker, too. I mean, the Bengals would retain a linebacker if he was good, but positional value, again, like, I don't know, I keep coming back to that. Anyway, Joe, I think let's get into a mock draft tomorrow. Yeah. Let's see how it all plays out. We'll see if we do one for every team in the NFL, doing it according to how we think it'll happen because the boards for these mock draft tools won't be updated, or if we do one just for the Bengals. We'll see how that goes. But as as you can tell, there's a lot going on, a lot of shakeups happening in the top, I'd say, two days of the draft. And, you know, the, the, the big silver lining for me, if you need one, if you're concerned that the tackles athleticism is going to be a bad thing for the Bengals, the big silver lining is it looks deep at several positions and and that's exciting for the Bengals. You're going to, there's a possibility that they get legitimately, you know, three guys in in their top 32, depending on how different the boards are across the league. Yeah. Especially at need positions at tight end at linebacker. I mean, it just got really deep at those spots. And I still like interior offensive line. We didn't mention Garrett Bradbury testing the way he did, but he's yeah. now he's not there at 42. Yeah. Uh, but Elton Jenkins, man, he it's funny. We, we mentioned that Elton, Elton Jenkins a few times and he's a center can play guard, played most of his career at center at Mississippi State. His length over 34 inches plus a wingspan that was this 
second highest only to Quentin Nelson. There were teams that thought Quentin Nelson could play tackle for them. They actually, some at the Combine last year asked Quentin Nelson if he could play tackle and would he consider it. Elton Jenkins tested like one and measured like one. Mm-hmm. He, now he's not kind of on my radar of, man, I wonder if the Bengals would take him and say, you know what? We'll figure it out whether that you're maybe maybe you're playing center, maybe you're playing right guard, maybe you're playing right tackle for us, but we'll find a spot for you and pick them at forty two. Yeah, and, and actually, just one other thing before we wrap up here, Irv Smith, yeah, didn't test very well, not at all. So he came in short and light, and then didn't test well. He did run the gauntlet better than Noah Fant. Noah Fant had a drop, and to me, honestly, Noah Fant looked like pretty rough running that receiver gauntlet, but Irv that, Smith looked smooth. That's the thing of when now you when you get to tape also Fant sometimes is a bit robotic catching the ball and fights it and double clutches it where Irv Smith has really smooth natural easy hands he's yeah. just an easy mover easy catcher uh, and he did run good in the forty time I want to say it was a four six flat it may have been uh, four seven flat but that's good time for tight end but his agility drills and stuff someone asked me today well how does he compare to aaron hernandez who was also small also fast i think they ran almost the exact same 40 hernandez had a great cone and shuttle uh times and nerf smith did not so it's going to knock him down he's going to be there in the second round and there's some other tight ends that tested really well and it's a position that for the most part as we've talked about on this podcast is going to be a developmental spot so there are some really promising developmental tight ends that you could look at later if they don't get one of the top two i think fanton hawkinson probably come in and make more of an impact year one, year two, especially year two. Even even the best tight ends are not often making a huge impact in year one. Yeah. Anyway, let's come back to it tomorrow. There's just so much information to talk about and digest. I'm sure there are guys that you wanted us to talk about that we didn't. Uh, if you've heard some of those, give us a mention on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry, at Jake underscore NFL, and we'll do our best to talk about the guys you're interested in. We'll get into some mock stuff tomorrow. I'm sure we'll talk about some more names then. Until then, in our delayed mock draft Monday this week, have a good one, Bengals fans. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.